Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, joined, as always, by my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drantz, who also covers the team for the athletic Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear, and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Drance, do you think you're going to be able to stop planning your game one of the NBA Finals parlays and and, and focus oh, on the Canucks for, uh, for a couple hours well, here? focus on the Canucks. That might be a little more difficult because it is a earth-shattering hockey news day. And... We have Brad Hunt on the program. Yes, former we do have Canucks Brad Hunt. former Vancouver Canuck, gold medal winner, nicest guy in mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. So, going to be a ton of fun to chat with him about the experiences over in Riga, um, and and the gold medal that he won uh, as a teammate with Tyler Myers, um, Ethan Bear. Get his thoughts on both of them. Um, you know, probably ask him too about uh, about Bruce Boudreau and how, the, how all that went down as well. Because obviously they're yep. close, having he played for him both uh, in Vancouver but also in uh, Minnesota. I'd forgotten this as well, but he was uh, he played on Vegas in the inaugural. That's season. true. Played like yeah. forty five games for he, the Vegas. Didn't play in the playoffs, but played in the lot in the regular season. For he kind of cemented himself as an NHL level player in, in Vegas, right? I think that was like the last time he was called up. I mean, until this season, but that was sort of the last time he was called up, and he was like leading the AHL, the Chicago Wolves, and in, in like the entire league in scoring when when he did so. Uh, but yeah, uh, Maple Ridge legend Brad Hunt <laughs> on the program yeah. today. Do you want to do you want to do like Canucks center talk and stuff, or do you want to do let's do the, let, the mean, big news of the day in the hockey world? I feel like it's, even though it's Canucks adjacent, I feel like it's Canucks talk. So let's lead with the Canucks center stuff, and we'll okay. get to uh, we'll get to the hockey news and Dubis and Treliving and all that, and how it unfolded today a little later in the show. And you know, we had kind of off the top of our head. Talked about some free agent, third line center targets, trade targets at that position. You and Harmon have the the deep dive doing your favorite exercise, putting them into tears. Yeah, I love tears. <laughs> well, you know what? So this is what happens every year. I just imagine your editor every time like, oh, oh, Drance wants to do a tears article. Okay. <laughs> well, the thing about the thing about it. So in the past, we've just done like 10 targets. Yeah. You know, 10 free agent targets for the Canucks to consider. And like I include in that list of targets like guys i like guys who are available guys who i hear the team likes or whatever Mm -hmm. and then at the end the canucks sign a guy who who, and i'm like panning the signing and fans start sending it to me and they're like you said he was a target as if i like vouched for it right so i wanted to do tears because i want to be clear i I wanted to pick my guys inject a little more opinion in there is what you're saying i wanted to pick my guys the ones that make sense the ones that make less sense yeah Yeah, and like my guy's pious suitor like, for me, the problem that the Canucks are going to bump into in trying to upgrade at third-line center is what What do you want fit-wise? That's the key thing. In here. a third-line center. Right-handed, credible top-nine guy, right? Can't just be like a fourth-line guy who happens to be right-handed and can win draws. Kills penalties, and ideally kills penalties like in a way that spells JT Miller off, yeah, your, I, off your first PK unit. I, I would rank PK ability like number one. 
Right. You know what I mean? It's got to be, it's like a, such a massive priority because it's something they've needed so badly the last so, couple of years. So PK ability, yep. ability to, you know, and then, and then credible top nine guys. So has to have some offensive pop, right? Like doesn't have to be a game breaker, but has to be able to keep up and then has to be massively affordable. Well, good luck, right? Like yep. good luck. That, that, that template player is really, really hard to find. It's like it might not exist. You know, you used to see these signs in like stores or whatever where it's like, you know, the like service, quality, price, choose two of them, right? And it's kind of like you're not getting you're probably not getting all three, but you can choose two. And that's the thing. You're probably gonna have to sacrifice somewhere, whether it's on the affordability side of things or you start knocking off some of those uh some of those characteristics of the player. Well, and I think without a massive move to clear the space required for the team to, you know, be players in the G- JT Comfer sweepstakes or the Evan Rodriguez sweepstakes, you know, the the cost thing isn't a choice. That's a, you know, necessity. Yeah. So, you know, the two guys that we sort of picked as ideal fits, quote unquote, aren't actually the the best players by any means. They're, they're just the best players who at least you could reasonably, you can see a straightforward path to them being in Vancouver's price range. And, and my guy's Pius Suter, because even though he's not right-handed, even though he's somewhat undersized, he hits every other box. Like, this is a guy who scores at a credible third-line rate. In fact, his scoring rates over, at 5-on-5 five five over, the, over the course of his three-year NHL career are basically identical to what JT Comfer or Nick Bugstad has managed. Um, his underlying results, his defensive impact, is consistently excellent even though the results haven't necessarily matched it, which for me screams opportunity. That's like exactly the profile you want. That's you, you, you want to hit a home run. Like if you want to hit a home run with a relatively affordable free agent, like that's the profile that historically Mm. is most likely to deliver it. Not to say that it's guaranteed. Nothing's guaranteed. There's a reason he's going to be more affordable. It's that he's a little bit undersized. It's that he's never really played on a great team. Yeah. Right, doesn't have high end offensive upside. Right, like has a yeah, appropriate yeah. but not high end offensive upside. Yeah, although although when you look at his production, right, like when he got chances with like Lucas Raymond and Tyler Bertuzzi, um, the production's pretty good. It's that he's spent most of his time with like Adam Ernie, and you know, like he's he's mostly spent time with real bottom uh, six guys. So you know, w- with more skilled players, I think there's more there. Uh, at least I think there's the ability to be like a thirty. You know, twenty five sure. to thirty point five on five points guy, um, but and then and then lastly, like he's a pretty good penalty killer. I mean, his penalty killing role diminished in Detroit this past season because they brought in Andrew Cop, but he can do that job. I don't think he can do that job though to the point where you'd want him out there ahead of some of their other options. Yeah, which, which is a problem. That that's a that's a bit of a red flag. Now I understand what you're saying again, and also. A huge part of this is the cost, right? Like it's realistically, it has to be under two point five million. And, and here's the other thing: I think if you're if you're talking about one forward on this list who I would bet on exceeding the evolving hockey expectations, it's Pius Suter. Oh, it's the it's the twenty seven year old centerman. Yeah, who who's like you know for me, like you look up and down. Like one of the guys we didn't include was was Sunkfist because I think Sunkfist is in the Achari camp of like too expensive mm. for a guy who I I really sort of see as being more in that like third to fourth line tweener as opposed to a mm-hmm. all out third line guy but you know the like son i think i think pius Suter, jt comfer evan rodriguez although i see him more as a winger and like max domi ryan o'reilly like those are the those are your options for credible sort of 
you know, real third line caliber dudes. And, uh, you know, I just think once you get to a certain point, um, there's only so many guys available that you're going to have, you know, th- that lack of demand is going to create price pressure yeah. that, that I think benefits Pius Suter and, and his agent yeah. uh, this summer. The other guy who's in that top tier in your article as an ideal fit if the price is right, and this is one that stands out to me, is uh, is David Kampf, right? And that one is you're turning the dial a lot more towards the defensive side, side of things and the ability to be a shutdown center. There's not a lot of offensive upside with David Kampf, but I think he checks a lot of those other boxes, right? Where you can pel- he kills penalties effectively. He can be a matchup guy. You can trust him in to- against tough competition, and it's just they need somebody like that. Just in terms of fit, that seems like the cleanest hockey fit to me, where you just need that extra defensive responsibility, that solidity down the middle, especially for this team. And again, as we talk about, okay, well, you're not getting your ideal candidate, right? Certainly not with the cap space you have. So what are the flaws you're willing to live with? And when I start going through them, you know, the one I'm probably most willing to jettison is offensive upside, right? Not you, you need somebody with a little bit of touch, obviously. You don't want to completely sacrifice it. But if I'm weighing, you know, okay, this guy gives us a ton of defensive ability and he can kill penalties, but his offense doesn't amount to much versus somebody who's much more offensively focused, I'm going towards the defensive guy. And that's why David Kampf becomes a very appealing option for me. Yeah. Look, David Kampf's a guy who I've long admired. Like, I've long been a fan of his game. Um, you know, there's a reason why the Toronto Maple Leafs, though, went out and paid the price to get Ryan O'Reilly. Ryan O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I mean, they did Sam Lafferty, too, because they needed a camp replacement. But they thought Sam Lafferty was roughly equivalent to camp. And, and I don't think they're wrong. You know, I, for me, anyway, I just sort of don't view – I don't view camp as, like – as having enough to be your third line center necessarily. Like, you know, if you're playing him with, if you're playing him with like a transporting, like I really do think you'd need to give him something like Beauvillier and then a heavy. Mm. And even then, you know, I I just, I just don't think the upside's there. Well, I do think that to me, that's one of the reasons why I'm more comfortable holding on to Connor Garland, right? Like, do you need to use him as the offensive caddy for a really like all defense third line center right and you try to kind of balance out the strengths and weaknesses of of those various players on the third line because we've seen Connor Garland got decent offensive production out of Neil Zaman and Dakota Joshua right Mm -hmm. and so that that becomes you know if you're comfortable paying Connor Garland to be in that role on the third line I think that becomes an interesting option right okay the center we can sacrifice a little offense for defense because we're going to pair him with Connor Garland and again that's not how you want to draw it up, right? If you're building your ideal Stanley Cup contending roster, you want your third line center to be able to drive play offensively themselves to have that offensive pop. But, you know, as we've talked about many times here, you're not going to be, you're not living in that best case scenario. You got to make the best uh, with what you have available to you. I I will say just on that point, the other name that really stands out to me is, and we talked about him a little bit earlier in the week, but is Sean Monaghan. And just, if you think of, okay, what's your best chance to get legit positive like legit good not just we acceptable adequate but good third line center performance 
without necessitating doing anything that makes you uncomfortable financially, sacrificing your future flexibility, trading a premium assets. Your best chance at doing both of those things is probably Sean Monahan. Right now, that depends on his injury status. It depends on a lot of things. But if you're just looking at upside, the combination of upside and relatively low risk and low acquisition cost, that's the name that stands out. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Like, I, I'm a big fan of that play um, if he's healthy enough to play much sure. of the season, right? I, I mean, where you get into trouble is, like, if he's a December return and you're not getting a training camp out of him and he's at the age and stage that he's at, um, you know, that becomes a dicier proposition, particularly given that, you know, it, it ups the comp- complexity of Vancouver's day-to-day roster management and LTI yep. situation just to just to get him on the roster, so... You know, that's one where uh, NHL teams considering it will will have the opportunity to do way more due diligence than we will. Yes. And, and that would be pretty decisive in, in shaping how good a play that is. But if it checked out, I, I think that's a I think that's a totally reasonable play. You brought up you brought up Garland, by the way. Uh-huh. And I think there's an interesting transition to talk about the big hockey news of the day. All right. From Garland, because, you know, the Pittsburgh JT Miller thing. Mm-hmm. Which loomed large around the deadline, and which, by the way, absolutely real. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, I do think it's an interesting question of whether it could have actually happened because of Pittsburgh's ownership. Oh, and oh I yeah. We've seen sure. reporting that they might not have been able, willing to sign off, so it was real. I don't know if that means it was like realistic. It, the, the talks were real. Could it have actually happened? I think is a different question. Well, and I, I, so I think the willingness to do it from Vancouver's perspective, especially at the cost that Pittsburgh's management group may have been willing to pay, I think that was real. Yes. Um, whether it was That last re- step of appro- ownership approval whether, I think is up in the air. Whether it was a realistic yeah. uh, possibility, I think, is, a, is an open question and, and one that I don't know that we'll ever get a straight answer to. So I think the Millership to Pittsburgh has sailed. That's done. But Garland's an interesting one to me. Garland, I so I've been doing this for all, you know every team that gets new management, right? Calgary, Toronto, now Pittsburgh. Okay, what are their what are they going to be wanting to do? What are the problems they have? Pittsburgh is really interesting because you know we heard from Kyle Dubas today, like they still they absolutely intend on competing as long as Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and Crystal Tang are there. They do have some flexibility. He talked about potentially needing to add to their forward group in the top six. And they also have a contract in Mikhail Gramland that is not just an inefficient contract, but is also symbolic of the failures of the past regime, right? And there's nothing GMs like more than shipping out the symbolic failure of the past regime. Uh, I just want to give a shout out in in you saying that. I want to give a shout out to 31-year-old Brian Rust with five years remaining on his deal in a full NMC. Woof! Good for him. Good for him, buddy. Boy! Nailed it! Nailed it. The full no move clause. That is actually very impressive. It's the full no move clause that like puts it over the top, right? I mean, I, I actually like I love Brian Russ as a player, but man. Oh, he's been no great move. for them. Um, but you know, the first place my mind went to was Garland for Granland. Well, right? but Granland's super buyoutable. Sure. But do you want to put that on your books? Because the other thing that Kyle Davis talked about was limiting the gap between this era of the Pittsburgh Penguins and the next era, right? So to me, that suggests you're trying to keep the books as clear as possible for the eventuality when uh, Malkin and Latang and Crosby do retire, right? You don't necessarily want to be adding dead cap to your books. No. <laughs> and good luck. And you've got Gensel coming up. And, uh, I mean, they look, they've got a heavy lift. I mean, Kyle Dubas, and we'll, we'll do some winners and losers from this, but, like, 
good for Kyle Dubas, right? He got what he wanted here in terms of autonomy and obviously gets to work with some Hall of Fame-bound players and coaches, but this is a tough situation, man. This is a tough, tough lift for, for, for Dubas, for sure. Um, they do have short-term cap space, though, and that cap space could go mm-hmm. up significantly if they were willing. Like, they could be at $25 million in available cap space, um, and maybe more if the salary cap is, like, if the PA and the NHL can come to some agreement to lift the salary cap by more than, um, you know, the, the anticipated $1 million. Uh, but, you know, that, that number can be 25 with a with a Granlin buyout. And then, and then you're cooking. And then I do sort of wonder if Connor Garland becomes, an, you know, not a player that they would pay for, but Garland is a really polarizing evaluation, right? Like there are teams that view him as like underutilized, you know, game-breaking top six guy. Mm-hmm. And there are teams that view him as like horrendous contract, too light, dominates the puck too much, plays this fancy game, can't compliment star players who need the puck on their stick, right? And and I do think there's reason to believe that a more progressive, data-driven executive like like a Kyle Dubas might view Garland in a more in a far more positive light than a the Canucks do, and certainly b than Pittsburgh Penguins past management would have. So, right. um, you know that to me like from the from the very Toronto style, what does this mean for the Canucks vantage point? I I sort of wonder like. If the Miller ship has sailed with Pittsburgh, is there is that is that a possible destination that the Canucks could consider in a, in a, in a Garland deal, um, and and one maybe where you'd be able to get something back, yeah. even if not, you know, something really good. Well, and that's why I wondered about the Granlin thing, right? Because at least it's one year; it's basically the same salary. Garland's just a hair under five million, which is what Granlund is making, and. Granlin's one year less, though, only two years remaining on his deal. So at least from the Canucks' perspective, you gain that extra year of flexibility. As you said, it's it's a buyoutable contract. Now, could that even appeal to the Canucks, right? Like, if, if you're more interested in buying out a two-year deal than a three-year deal in Connor Garland, and what's like, how much weight does Pittsburgh give to buying it out versus just getting it off the books? Is there even an opportunity to pick up another asset, right? If you're doing Garland for Granlund, does Pittsburgh send something along with Granlund to make it worth your while? Like, I think that's at least that, you know, we talked about this, I think it was just yesterday. It's hard to find teams where the Canucks can help solving their problems that's one where it stands out it's like okay there might actually be something there there might actually be a path there where Garland fits a need for them right now and you could help them out by taking a Granlin's deal off well and it's an interesting one too because you'd imagine that current Canucks management has a higher view of certain guys in the Penguin system who they probably have liked from the time that they were 16 um, and then also the the Pittsburgh Penguins have Joel Blomqvist, Blomqvist, who was an Ian Clark favorite that the Canucks were like crossing their fingers and hoping fell uh, to their to them at the third round of the 2020 entry draft where mm-hmm. they end up taking Yoni Yermo. Um, so, you know, there there's probably there's probably one of those like arbitrage opportunities where the Canucks would value certain players yep. on the Penguins roster more than an incoming general manager would. Uh, given the intertwined history. Um, and, of course, Rutherford and and Dubas have a long history of making deals, most of them involving Kasperi Kapanen, although that one can't uh, that can't be part of it. It's off the table, time. unfortunately. Yeah. Can you imagine? 
if if Catherine was still in Pittsburgh and Rutherford just picks up the phone, Kyle, let's do it again. Let's go for the hat trick. <laughs> let's do it again, um, buddy. The Casperi Kapanen hat trick between Rutherford and Dubas. So anyway, just a just a quick. La- I want to do more on this. Obviously, well, they've done we they've done two. Hunt, uh, they did two trades even since Rutherford's been here when he, when Dubas was the Leafs, right? Sure. And, and uh, Dermot as well. Yeah. So there is a history of making deals there. The, yeah. So. I mean, it's an interesting one, and it's an interesting one to monitor from a Canucks perspective. I, you know, I just really struggle with the idea of the Canucks taking back Grandland. Like, to me, you are way better off, A, not making the deal and just keeping the better player, or B, just getting Garland off, even if you have to retain a million, and, and signing a, a Lars Eller type mm. to a one-year deal. You know, for me, that would be a far better approach. Yeah, I mean, I think you would have to get something. You'd have to get an asset on top of it, right, to make it worth your while. Because you're losing a ton of hockey value going from Garland to Granlund. And it's not even like you're looking at Granlund like, oh, but at least he checks like he's gritty or anything. You know what I mean? It's not even that. It's just a worse hockey player in every way, basically. I I mean, he's a center, and he wins draws, and he can kill penalties. But, like, yeah, I, I, you know, he's quickly getting long in the tooth as as 30-year-old hockey players are wont to do. Uh, couple Time for a couple texts here. We are going to speak to Brad Hunt, former Canuck and now gold medalist with Canada at the World Hockey Championships in a few minutes here. Uh, this one, uh, fundamentally, what do you think of Nick Bugstad for third line center? Big fan. I think it'd be interesting. But, but you know, if it's a three or four year deal, then I think you're putting yourself in a, in a pretty tough spot with a guy who's 30 now, right? Mm-hmm. Um has a pretty lengthy injury history um but you know right-handed still some offensive pop scored what 17 goals this year and and has made himself into a pretty credible defensive piece over over the course of you know his his late 20s um good guy hard worker and has shown the maturity to adapt his game I mean that's a that's a profile I really like I just I think if you're doing a three or four year deal, you're you're really courting disaster there. I think it really has to be one where, you know, you, you manage the term even more so than the money. But that's a tough thing for the Canucks to do given their cap straights. So Nick Bugstad for me is like absolutely a good fit. Like interesting but too expensive is the tier that he's in, and I think that's the right location for him in Vancouver's consideration set. I, I think Vancouver really needs to be looking for like slightly more distressed, younger higher upside plays, which is why Pius Suter's my guy. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Brad Hunt, former Canuck, joins the show next to talk about winning gold with Team Canada and more. That's coming up. It is Canuck Stock, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Team Canada defenseman and, of course, former Canuck and BC product, Maple Ridge product, Brad Hunt going to join us momentarily. Uh, always, always a pleasure to chat with Brad Hunt, as as uh, everyone here in Vancouver discovered 
in his brief time with the Canucks, his one season with the Canucks. But looking forward to getting uh, Brad on the line to talk a little bit about winning gold with Team Canada. Incredible experience for him. You can keep getting your texts in. Uh, we'll keep talking about the situation in Pittsburgh, how it could relate to the Canucks, just some general winners and losers with that situation as well, and also Canucks' third-line center fits. Uh, minor Matt in Abbotsford says, get Garland out of here, but please, no more Granlins. The Sea of Granland coming back with Mikhail Granlund. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about it. The, the return. <laughs> Part two. Part two. Oceans rise. <laughs> Empires fall. Tide comes in. Tide comes out. <laughs> um, I love it. Don't hold that against him, though. Mind no, that. I absolutely mean, not. Just, just a coincidence. But hilarious. Yes. Uh, again, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Um Bo from Burnaby says, why not Lars Eller? I think Lars Eller at the right price. I mean, that's the caveat with all of these guys, right? At the right price. I don't mind, but it just seems he's Uh, getting a little long in the tooth now. I've liked his game a lot throughout his career, but I'm not sure he's the right fit in terms of speed, in terms of offensive upside, all of that for the Canucks right now. I'm a believer. All right. I would do that in a heartbeat. I think I think the Canucks should do that if uh, if Lars Eller's available. Like he's, I watched him closely in that Kraken series, including those games live, and he was sicked on the Matty Beneers line, right? Like that was his primary matchup. He was playing with Ben Myers and Dennis Mulgan, who'd routinely play like seven minutes a night, and he held up. So, I mean, I think that's a totally good play from a Canucks perspective. I just uh, the the other part of that with. Um with Lars Eller is you're into that category of players where you got to think his priority at this point, obviously everyone wants to to make their money and to get a good deal in a situation that's comfortable for them and playing time and all that. But I would imagine Lars Eller is also very focused on competing for a Stanley cup as someone with that pedigree and the winning pedigree that he has just that's, playing with Colorado. That's where it gets complicated. Right. No so you are talking about not just, do we like the player and not just kind of what's his theoretical market value, but What's it going to cost to bring him here specifically, right? And that's why, mm. you know, the Ryan O'Reilly stuff, like, just seems like a total non-starter to me because he's going to be expensive anywhere, and it's probably ex- extra expensive for him to come to Vancouver. Uh, and I wonder if there's a similar dynamic there with Lars Eller where, yeah, he might sign cheap in, you know, Tampa Bay, or he might sign cheap with, but you're not getting you know, the guy. Boston Bruins or something, but I don't know if he's signing cheap here. Yeah, and you know what? Fair enough. That is That is where... I suppose the rubber meets the road in that eval, but you know, if you know, Lars Eller at one times, even 1.75 or something, I think that's a really good short-term outcome for the Canucks personally, especially if it's, you know, not attached to term, if it's something they manage. Well, the, right the term way. thing is huge. And that's huge. the big thing with the Sean Monaghan thing, right? Where it's plausible that because he's coming off this injury, he wants a one-year deal, right? He wants the one-year show me deal. That, like that is so incredibly valuable. Yeah. We're always focused on, what their cap situation is for this year and, you know, how can they open up cap space and what are they going to spend it on and all of that. But the thing that always gets you into those problems is the guys you signed three or four years ago, right? The guys you signed in the past are now the contracts you're desperately trying to move. So if you limit it this year to one year, you're setting yourself up much better in the future than if you roll the dice, even even on a relatively low cost guy, like a Nick Bukestad or something, right? Like that's why for me, I want it to be under two and a half or under two million, ideally. But man, if you're getting somebody at one year, that's a credible option. That's huge. And and this gets back to what we were talking about with harm. I think it was yesterday on the show, uh, or a couple days ago. I don't know. It all runs together. I think it was a couple days ago. 
the pr- the task as I see it is not go out and find your third line center of the future. Go out and find a long term play at third line center. It's go out and find someone who can help you this year. And if mm. it's only for this year, that's fine because you're way less likely to make a damaging mistake if that's your goal. Then if you feel this desperation, if you feel this pressure to go out and find a guy who can help you for three, four, five years at a time. Well, for sure. And and there's different buckets to play in and you can wait, you know, like the the what's the best deal you can sign on July 1st? The deal you sign on July 15th, yeah. right? And, None of them. Yes. Uh, and I mean, are there players like could you see a um could you see a Alex Kerfoot type? Mm fall through the cracks. We didn't even include him on this list because he primarily played Plays wing. wing. That's I like I, I think it's an interesting fit. I just don't know how much he's actually a center. Well he I mean he's a forward, but, but like he absolutely can play center and has a pretty lengthy track record of doing it effectively. Like to me, you know, waiting a bit and seeing sort of what falls through the cracks and what you who who you can provide a soft landing spot to, um, that's a pretty good play. Like I, I think that's probably Vancouver's best route mm. to be totally honest well the other and i think the other thing that through this, this off it ties into that right is you know you've got people on this list and again this is kind of looking at the uh the ranking or the tiers of canucks free agent third line center targets but you've got guys that are you know projected to earn less than a million dollars this year and i wonder if part of the play also is you know maybe your quote-unquote high profile signing is Pia Suter or David Kampf or something, but then you roll the dice on a couple of the other guys, right? Or at least one of the other guys, because you need that depth. Yeah, you have Neil Zaman, but you don't want just your center depth to start stop organizationally at Neil Zaman going into the season. No, well, and and that's you know maybe it's a combination. Maybe you bring in two of the cheaper guys, right? Yep. And you hope that between them and Neil Zaman, you cobble together, you know, third and fourth center minutes, or, or, right? Or like you have two low end third line caliber lines, right? But but I mean. That, that'll hurt you in the playoffs, but we'll take that in this Well, market. that's the thing. Let's get there first. Let's get there first and then worry about, you know, okay, how are they going to match up against the other team's bottom six? And yeah, I, I do think just get there. this is a situation. Heck, heck, let's get to December with the team having, like, a more than a one-third playoff shot. Yeah. And, again, you I'm know, not even saying, like, you know, be 20. A favorite. And eight and three when, when, when it becomes the holiday season. Like, once we start, you know eating five days worth of advent calendar chocolate on December 2nd. But, like, let's just get there with, like, hey, there's a chance still. So, yeah, I mean. And this is, uh, you know, when I kind of debuted my my run-it-back take, team run-it-back, mm. a big part of it was that the management group has put a lot of eggs in the coaching and systems and structure basket with Rick Tockett, making the transition from Bruce Boudreaux to Rick Tockett. Well, the thing that having really good coaching and having a really good structure and a good system is supposed to allow you to do is to get credible performances out of flawed players, right? To get the most out of players. So if you are that much of a believer in what Rick Tockett can do as a head coach with the type of system he can play with the type of structure he can get the team to play with. Okay. Yeah, of course, every team would love to have their ideal third line center and would love to have 20 million in cap space to go out and play with every summer and try to put together a contender. But if you're such a believer in your head coach, you should also have the confidence that, you know what, we can shop in the bargain bin. We can go after guys that are only going to be a one or two year commitment at two or two and a half million dollars. And as you said, we still think we can cobble together, whether it's through quantity, whether it's through hitting on one of them, whatever it is, we can cobble together a really credible bottom six. Now, 
as you say, is that a viable strategy to build a, you know, a top five team for this season in the NHL? No, it's not. You need to have that baseline of talent, even for the best coach to work with. Is it a viable strategy to complete for a wild card spot? It absolutely should be. And I think that's how you have to look at it rather than, oh man, we're so desperate for a third line center. So we're going to buy a player out or we're going to trade pick 11 to open up cap space, or we're going to trade Vasilipod Colson for a center who can help us right now. It should be the mindset they should have is we're going to do what we do best, which is scouting underutilized talent and then relying on Rick Tockett to get the most out of them. That should be the MO. That should be the plan for, you know what, we're not going to have our best guy at center, but we're going to be fine anyways. Especially because it's consistent with what they've done best as a management group, right? Like that's yep. been, you know, their bread and butter. And and look, opportunities knock. I, we had a text in that said, who's Drance's Mason Appleton of the 2023 offseason? Which like, come on, man. I've had good picks since then. <laughs> but it's Pius Suter. Like for me, it's Pius Suter. The, the the profile of a guy you want is like there are obvious reasons why this guy is going to be undervalued. Not six foot tall, not 180 pounds, hasn't played playoff hockey in his career, you know, is a 48 and a half percent faceoff guy, which is totally fine, right? Like that's mm -hmm. totally serviceable, but he's not an ace, right? Um, he doesn't look like a defensive center. He looks like a skilled guy, but he doesn't produce like a skilled guy. He produces like a defensive center. And his defensive impact is through the roof, like really sparkling. And like, I promise you, it's going to be one of the really smart teams, like the teams that consistently do smart stuff that probably wins the bidding for this guy because the profile's so obvious. Like it's screamingly obvious that there are, that there's like, you know, I don't want to say this guy's a home run cut because he's not. No, no. But, but like, this is the it's swing. It's like a solid single cut though. It's, it's a, it's a good pitch to swing at. That's what it is. You know, it's just like a high probability down the middle, not too much cruel movement. You know, you, you feel pretty good about your, your chances of barreling. It's almost, it's almost, okay. It's that, but it's almost also like, um, you're taking a walk. You're like, Hey, I'm just going to get on base and let the, whoever's hitting behind me, the other good players on my team, hit, hit yeah. clean up and hit and drive this guy in. More or less, right? And that's fine. So, anyway, for me, that's, you know, I love my pitch selection, guys. <laughs> for me, that's the guy. Like, I really struggle to find a lot of other guys in unrestricted free agency, one way or the other. Um, you know, whether they're defensemen, whether they're third line centers, who sort of match his combination of like you know really solid reasons to believe. Um, in their ability. I mean, you know, the, the the other guys on my list would be, I guess, Connor Clifton. Like, I really believe in Connor Clifton. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> that's, even that guy's a $3.5 million player probably, maybe a $4 million player. So good luck. Uh, yes, good luck indeed. Uh, 650, 650. We're having some trouble connecting with Brad Hunt. Uh, I mean, he might be still celebrating. I don't know, but you know, he's, I'm sure he's got a lot on the go, but we will try to get him, uh, at some point either today or tomorrow on the program. Cause uh, I am very much looking forward to speaking to the former Canuck and now the gold medal winner. Uh, we will have Sean Gentilly of the athletic coming up at one to talk a little bit about uh, the news out of Pittsburgh today. And I know we wanted to do some winners and losers from the Dubas Treliving uh, GM carousel that played out. Uh, I did just want to read, and you touched on this a little bit, but this text from Keith. Uh, Keith, can you guys please explain why Garland is a player this team doesn't want? If he was three inches taller, would he not be a majorly coveted asset? And I think, as you said, it's obviously a big part of it is the um, – 
a big part of it is the height issue with Garland. There's just always kind of be going to be that bias against smaller players, uh, in particular, uh, smaller for well, not just in particular smaller forwards, but any really smaller player in the NHL at this point. But Drance, as you were saying, it's also with Garland the idea that it's hard to find an easy fit with high skill players, right? And we've seen that with Connor Garland. You know, he's never gotten that long run where he's looked great next to Elias Pettersson or JT Miller. He's ended up dropping down the lineup, not because he can't produce, but just because it's kind of a a tricky fit with some of the team's better players. And I think there's a lot of teams around the league that look at him like that. Now, I like Connor Garland, and I, I don't even mind him as a third-line offensive driver, right, if you decide he can't fit with your better players. But I think, to Keith's question, like, why is there this eagerness to get rid of him? I think that's a big part of it. Well, but it's it comes down to the polarized evaluation thing that I talked about in discussing his game. And I just think the Canucks are on – the side of his game where it's yeah. like, you know, he's not big enough to contribute when the games get heavy, especially in the Western Conference. And, um, you know, he's too puck dominant to complement our, like, puck carrying centermen, right? I mean, JT Miller and Elias Pettersson have, you know, one thing in common, right? And that is they're both at their best and at their most lethal and uh, with the puck on their stick. Like, they're not... You know, not that not that either is like bad at finding open space or or bad at playing off their line mates, but when you have a player like Garland who's at his best, really dominating the puck. I mean, we call him a driver, but that's because he's spends a lot of time with it, often around the perimeter, even though he does get chances from in tight two. But like he spends a lot of time holding the puck, and that sort of is a tough fit, I think, with two guys in in Pedersen and. Miller, who you want to get that usage, right? Like the the comparison, it's almost like Russell Westbrook, right? Like that. Think about it that mm. way, right? Like from a from an efficiency of movement and time perspective, I, I just don't think the fit's been found for him, um, which you know is is tough considering that Vancouver, for most of Garland's time in this market, has had like three really high end finishers playing center, right? I mean between Horvat. Um, Pedersen and and Miller in your mind's eye, it should work with at least one of them, and yep. and yet for whatever reason, it just hasn't really been as natural a fit as it should be. All right, so we can get back into that conversation. We've got some good texts coming in. Uh, still trying to get Brad Hunt on the show at some point, uh, and also as I mentioned, our pal from the Athletic, Sean Gentilly, will join us in about fifteen minutes. Um, okay, so Kyle Dubas officially announced as the president of hockey operations in Pittsburgh, Brad Tree Living. We knew this, but he has his introductory press conference as the new general manager in Toronto. Fascinating couple of weeks between with the drama involving both of those franchises. You could roll in the Calgary Flames, too, going back a little bit to them uh, parting ways with their GM and their head coach. Winners and losers. Of this oh, let's saga. play this with Gentilly. Let's, let's, oh, we want to wait for it to do it with Gentilly? Let's save this and we'll right. spring it on him with zero preparation. He'll love it. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be up for it. Yeah, I'm he, sure he's he will a regular enough guest and like yeah, yeah, smart yeah, yeah, enough yeah. on his feet that he'll be fine. No, he enjoys that. Yeah. Um, Dave, so, sorry, let's let's wait till we have okay, him. That's I fine. think it'll be fun. That's fine. Uh, Dave texts in, uh, Garland plays well under Tockett. They should, they should have other priorities rather than moving him. They better not move their pick uh, or fans will be pissed. That's from Dave. I agree that... It would not be number one on my priority list. If there's a trade that makes he, sense, he, I can see it. He's also right that Garland played his best hockey in a Canucks uniform 100%. after Rick Tockett took over. Yeah. No question. And I have seen some, you know, 
oh well yeah he performed well down the stretch but that was garbage time it's like well then you have to you have to hold the whole team to that standard you have to hold everything to that standard you can't pick or choose right like garland played well under talkit either what happened under talkit matters or it doesn't matter and garland again with playing with Neil Zaman and Dakota Joshua so not exactly getting high offensive upside teammates although no disrespect to those players especially Joshua showed very well but he was able to be a really effective part of the team and you know, as we talk about fit, like on the one hand, you can look at it as, okay, Garland doesn't fit with Miller or Pedersen. I think that's fair. That is frustrating. Do you want to be paying $5 million for a player but you don't think can play with either of your top six centers? I get that. The other way to look at it, though, the flip side is, well, we also have pretty strong evidence that he doesn't need those players to do his thing, that he can be successful away from those players, right? So can we actually use that as an opportunity where, hey, we don't have to play this guy in the top six to get value out of him, to get to find a role for him. We can move him farther down the lineup, play him with less talented players, and still be assured of a certain baseline of production. Like, that's the difference to me between Connor Garland and, for example, Brock Besser, where I don't have that same confidence that you can move Brock Besser down the lineup. The upside might be higher. Because we've seen the chemistry with Elias Patterson certainly in their career. We've seen chemistry at different points with JT Miller. The upside is higher, but if that doesn't work out, I don't know where you're putting Brock Besser. At least with Garland, yeah, you would love for it to be a clean fit in the top six. But worst case scenario, you move him down the lineup and you know he can have success there. Or at least you're confident he can have success yeah, there. Yeah, no, and look, I mean, on the... On the list of the best ways, the tiers of the best ways for the Cubs to clear money, a Garland trade is, like, not in the top five. What? The tiers. It's killing me. <laughs> Somebody texted it. By the way, off the top of the show, is your is Drance's new favorite video game, Tears of the Kingdom? <laughs> My favorite band's Tears for Fears. Tears for Fears. We should we should do that. Your tears of your Canucks fears for the upcoming offseason. My 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 fear tears. Yeah. Oh man, your fear tears. I've got some fear tears. Friday I mean, draft drafting tears. Dra- drafting tears. Yes, drafting. Well, tears. drafting fears. Um, drafting and then tearing the fears. In fact, no. I, okay, so let's do let's do fears tears. I think the, the highest grade of tier, terrified. Yep. Okay, terrified. Canucks trade the 11th overall pick to get off of a contract that's not even bad. So, and that's not trade down. That's just like straight up attaching it with a player. Attaching. We're out of the first round. Bye-bye. 11. Correct. 11 goes, or or no, no. Oh, well, sorry. I'm going to go. 11 goes in any respect, even if the even if it's a trade down option. But 11 goes with like significant value lost in order to get off of a contract that I don't even consider to be a bad contract like a Garland deal. Like, that to me is number one. Okay, so... So, like, the Chicago trade, the Chicago trade idea, the Scott Powers memorial, or, sorry, honorary um, um, uh, Chicago trade, like, 11 for 19 and 35, but the Canucks also lose Garland. To me, that's, like, number one. I think that's... What? Really? That's, like, terrifying you? It's a disaster. They don't lose that much value, though, on that. They lose so much value in terms of the likelihood of them actually mining like an impact NHL player, right? They don't lose a lot of aggregate value based on like pick charts, mm-hmm. but expected player value falls off a cliff after 11 or 12. And to lose that sort of value in this season, to me, that's a cataclysm. See, that's got to be lowered down. Like ju- the, the true nightmare scenario for me is not, not part of a trade down. It's just like we're attaching 11 
and bye-bye. It's gone. We're not picking in the first round. We're not picking in the second round this year because we used the pick oh, yeah, yeah. to get See, off I, I don't think I just I don't, don't think, think that's realistic, though. So it's like... As, as stubborn... That's as, too fanciful for me to get afraid about. As, afraid of, you as know? As stubborn and outside the realm of... Um, like, as stubborn and, and completely out of touch with what this market thinks or wants, I don't think this front office would do that. I think they understand that they need to... Like, I'm not actually all that worried about it, but for me, that's like... The trade down option is realistic enough that I could see it happening, and I, I think that would be a disaster. See the thing. So that's number one. Number the, two. Number two. I sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no. Philip Philip Peronik getting an extension before next season, but not Ilias Pettersson. That to me would be mm. scary, because I think it's a really expensive deal. What about? I mean, I, doesn't number one have to be something going wrong with? Elias Patterson's contract. Yeah, but I'm not. I mean, you're too far it's out. Just to too. Like work, it, well, it's too far out. It's not like a fear for this off season, in in my view. Anyway, um, I'm trying to think of what uh, else Ty- I'm scared of. This is an incredible text from Tyler. He says, "Am I the only Canucks fan happy that OEL has a no move clause? Because if he didn't, you know the Canucks would package to him uh, with picks to get him off the books. Yeah, but that's the one contract you would want to do it with." So, Tyler, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you probably are the only Canucks fan happy that OEL has a no-move clause. Not that it would be then easy to move him if he didn't, but at least it opens up like well, a world of possibility even down the road, even after next season or something like so, that. So I know you're like Captain OK with tra- the trade-down option. Yes, right. that's right. Cap- that's my name. Captain OK. Captain OK. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they call me. Yeah, Captain OK. Yeah. So... Captain OK over I do here. think I've been the most positive about it. By far. Yeah. But but you have to zoom out. I think I think to really properly capture the skin tingling fear that this causes for me. Mm-hmm. You have to zoom out and think about you g- get Garland for the ninth overall pick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you <laughs> lose the eleventh overall pick to dump him after two years. Like two years where he's like scored what like 90 points like, you know what i mean yeah it's like um it's like you know hell is other people right it's like very much like waiting for godot we're like just like waiting for this team to stop making mistakes we're just waiting for them to stop digging and we'll always be waiting and we just like realize eventually you know there's no exit if it was 11... i really mixed a literary illusion know, whatever i get it if it was 11 for 19 and you're giving up Garland and you're not getting the high second, then it would be like, no, that's ridiculous. Don't do that. The fact that you're getting the high second makes it the value worth enough, worth it enough and the cap space worth it enough for me not to be afraid of it. I get the context. I, I get the context I hate of, it. oh, we already lost nine cycle, and now we're losing 11. I t- completely understand if it. If you live in this cycle, it never stops. It will never stop. Well, yes. If you then you turn around and use that cap space to make, as I said, the mistake you're trying to get out of in three or four years, yeah, that's the nightmare scenario. Well, that, that's the nightmare scenario. If you do it to sign like that's the nightmare Sean Monahan that's, to that's one year, two and a half. business as usual. If you do it to sh- sign Sean Monahan to like one year, two and a half, and then a defenseman to one year, two and a half, I have much less problem with that. Yeah, sure. I have much less problem with that. I think that's totally uh, reasonable at that point. Yeah, it still makes oh. me nervous. I don't know what the context was there, but sure. Never never a bad time for that one. Uh, Keep your thoughts coming in. Uh, We will talk to our pal Sean Gentile out of Pittsburgh. Uh, Just had a great piece go up at The Athletic reacting to the Kyle Dubas hire. We will play winners and losers 
uh, put Sean uh, on the uh, on the hot seat here, asking him for the winners and losers in the Dubis and Treliving saga. That's coming up next. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Catch up on what happened in Vancouver sports with Halford and Bruff in the morning. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. It's Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line that we have successfully connected with uh, our pal from The Athletic, based out of Pittsburgh, Sean Gentilly. He's on the line right now. Hey, Sean, thanks for making time for us uh, on a busy day today in Pittsburgh, man. How are you? Yeah, fellas. Greetings from uh, Kylesburg, Dubisvania. I think I think <laughs> it's been renamed. Not Dubas? <laughs> yeah, what was up with that? I, 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 missed, I missed that one on the first I just class. Like, I like, went back to things happen right but it's like we're so impressed with him this guy's amazing we fell in love with him and here he is yeah. Dubas. <laughs> is is it a yinzer thing it, though is, oh, that's a boston guy you kidding me that's not <laughs> that's not a that's not a pittsburgh guy i i can i can guess how some of the pittsburgh mispronunciations would go and and, and none of them are are, are Dubas. we take french words around here and anglicize them to the point of absurdity so yeah that's that's uh that's Boston talking, baby. Yeah, yeah. That's the that's the Kale McCarr now has eight H's in his name when he's Kale McCarr. Um, Kale McCarr. <laughs> so I want we want to play a game, but first I want to just ask a question, um, mm-hmm. and then we're gonna squirrel this interview and put you on the spot. So apologies in advance. But I want to ask one question, which was, how was this interview received, particularly in contrast with what's come before? in the Pittsburgh Penguins market um, over the past couple of years? Pretty rapturously. I Dubis won the press conference, I'll tell you that much. I mean, that's not any surprise to anybody that's ever heard him speak, I don't think, right? You have, if you've spent a second around Kyle Dubis, like the events of this afternoon probably shouldn't surprise you. He knows, he knows what to say. He's a polished person. He's a genuine person. He's charismatic. Like, it all works, right? So I'm not surprised that he went out and nailed it the way that he did. But I think maybe some people around here who have less experience with him and less experience uh, in hearing him talk were uh, won over, let's say, by by what they heard from him. It was like, okay, who's this guy? The Leafs have been, you know, the Leafs. What exactly are we getting here? And then they heard him talk and were just like, oh, okay, I get it. And that's anecdotal, and it's based on my friends who are texting me, you know, that to that effect and seeing people react on Twitter. But I really do feel like a meaningful amount of people heard him talk this afternoon and were like, oh, okay, I get it. Was there anything that surprised you or, or stood out some way about uh, what Dubas had to say today? I think that he already has a pretty good handle on on what needs to happen for that club in general. And I think he was pretty uh, blunt in his assessments, as, as blunt as he can be. Because, again, I like, like – 
like we said, he's a thoughtful person and a tactful person. He's not going to come out and, you know, nail anybody publicly all that, all that often, but he said flat out, you know, this, that this team, you know, is that he still thinks they're capable of winning meaningful games because of Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang. That alone is not necessarily something that, you know, people got the vibe that Ron Hextall and Brian Burke believed all that much because of the way that they entered. So he realizes that, you know, as crazy as it sounds, for as old as those guys are, they're still part of the solution, and it's up to him to kind of build around them. And that sounds basic and simple, but it's also something, it's a sentiment, I think, that was in short supply in the in the previous regime. So, you know, I, I don't think anything was all that surprising necessarily, but it was just uh, – thoughtful, you know, well-composed uh, showing from him. Again, not a surprise, but I, th- I think it was still still pretty impressive. So I want to play a game now. We're going to play a game. We often mm-hmm. do We often do the give me your tears, but we're going to squirrel this a little bit more, and we're going to do winners and losers from what we're calling the Kyle Dubas, Brad Treliving general manager carousel mm-hmm. that unfolded mm-hmm. over the course of today. And so these can be people, these can be people at specific times, it can be organizations, it can be concepts, whatever you want can be a winner or a loser today. And, and I'll, I'll kick us off. I'll kick us off so that, that there's, uh, uh, you know, um, some connective tissue, some, some samples before we, before we throw it to you, Sean, and then we'll, we'll go around the room. It'll go me, then you, then, then Jamie, and then we'll repeat that process. No snake draft. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Rules established. I'm going to declare... Kyle Dubas a winner, okay? Because he gets mm-hmm. the autonomy Hot he take. wanted. Hot take, here. yeah. Well, fired in Toronto a week ago. Yeah. He gets the autonomy he clearly pushed for from not just like, you know, an organization, but the Pittsburgh Penguins, right? He had Crosby and Mike Sullivan engaged in recruiting him. And for all the talk, all the very, very cold takes a week ago about like, hey, Kyle Dubas messed up another negotiation. It's like, did he? This looks like it turned out pretty well for him. Kyle Dubas, clear winner today. Yeah. Uh, The other thing that stood out to me about Kyle Dubas being a winner, he was on my list too, is when he was talking about what his his mandate is, (laughs) right? It's not just get the most out of the last years of this core. It was also explicitly manage the transition to the next era of Pittsburgh Penguins hockey. It's like, Mm. that's a lot of job security built in, Yeah, right? Like we're already giving you the mandate three years down the road, which means we're expecting you to be here and we're going to give you some runway to do that. And not to to interrupt you guys, but just kind of build on that point. I mean, absolutely. That's like the dream job in some way because he's getting paid a ton of money, a ton of money. I can't wait to see what the number ends up being. I have a guess. (laughs) Uh, also, that money goes a lot farther in Pittsburgh than Toronto. I can, <laughs> I, can guarantee, I can guarantee you that. But also, like, he gets to coach a team with Sidney Crosby on it for a few years, and then he's, and then, in barring something shocking, he's going to be tasked with figuring out the next phase of life for one of the flagship franchises of the of the league in the last like thirty or forty years. Right? That's a that's as big a win as you can get if you're an exec. Yeah, it's just so rare to hear an exec get like, we're hiring you for this job and the task that comes after it. We're hiring you for it all at once, right? You all, you never get that sort of implicit job security off the top. Do you have a winner or a loser from this uh, saga for us, Gentilly? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the obvious. Like, we'll, do, we'll I'm sure we'll do another lap, and we can get, yeah. get into maybe funnier answers. But we need to say how what a huge win this is for Fenway Sports and the Pittsburgh mm. Penguins because they got they got blind lucky here. 
this is not something they were anticipating happen. It just, it just, so the way it worked out was that, you know, Hextall was a train wreck and, and Burke and the Hextall Burke administration was a train wreck. They needed to make a change. Like this wasn't them hiring or firing Ron Hextall because they knew that Kyle Dubas was going to be available. They didn't galaxy brand. This was just dumb luck that they needed to make, a change at the top of that organization at a time when one of the best executives of, of, his, of, of his generation, you know, became available, right? Like, it, like that's not the way it looked like it was going to work out two weeks ago. It's not the way it looked like it was going to work out four days ago. Mm. But that's what happened. That's what the Pittsburgh Penguins do. They're a lucky, lucky, lucky franchise, whether, whether it's Lemieux or winning the Crosby draft, or the, the Crosby lottery or, or whatever. I'm not saying this is on par with those two events, but, like, how, how far can the horseshoe get, get pulled, right? Like, it's, 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 it, happened, it happened again. Yeah, it sucks. Um, <laughs> can you guys imagine? Must be nice. Must be so nice lucky. to have a lucky franchise. Yeah, in that your sounds town. great. Sounds good. Oh wait, the the football <laughs> team is like the most successful ever too. You say, dang, wow, sounds good. Ah, At least it's they have all, the pirates. All, I was gonna say it's all it's all counterbalanced by the baseball team. So you, guys, <laughs> you, guys, you guys can. <laughs> I'll uh, I, I have some commentary that I that because I, I think you're dead on bullseye as usual, Sean but I'll get into it after I present one of my losers. So kicking it over to you, Jamie. Winner oh, okay. or loser? Uh, I'll go with a winner, and this one is a little bit I, – I think it's maybe a little unconventional, but I actually think Sheldon Keefe is a winner in a weird Ooh. way of all of this because what's the easiest thing to do after another a disappointing playoff exit? Fire, Fire the your coach. coach. Fire the coach. Bring in a new coach. Then his guy, Kyle Dubas, gets fired. And you're wondering, oh boy, are they just going to clean house completely? Where is this going? What's happening for Sheldon Keith? Now you start to listen to the reports. Brad Treliven comes in, and it's kind of like, man, I've got so many other things to deal with. You're under contract. You're not a bad head coach. I, well, let's see if we can work together. It's almost like a stay of execution for Sheldon Keith that he, he's going to have another opportunity with that group, or at least with whatever remains of the group. And, you know, two, three weeks ago, you would have said that's probably not happening. So Sheldon Keith, I think navigated this or got lucky, whatever the case is, but he's actually not in a terrible position now. Yeah, it's hard to say whether he was uh, the penguin, like whether he was the Penguins or the Leafs, <laughs> like, whether he was lucky or or just um, or or good here. Hey, um, okay, so I want to do MLSE as our first loser, and I think the Great. contrast with Fenway Sports makes this particularly interesting. You know. Fenway, and granted, they had a little more time here, right? But they were able to cast a wide net, right? They were talking to some of the most innovative executives in the business, whether it's an Eric Tulski or, or a Cam Lawrence. But they were also talking to, you know, sort of hybrid type guys like like Steve Greeley and then also some of the old guard, right? I mean, what, 10 plus names are public in terms of who they've interviewed. They had second interviews. They went deep, like deep into a, a wide variety and a pretty fascinating and diverse cross-section of potential candidates for this job. And when an opportunity shook loose, they were able to pivot and, and act decisively to land their guy with a, with a pretty significant title. In contrast, and granted they had far less time here, but like the Maple Leafs list of candidates interviewed was appalling. Right. It was like the mm -hmm. it was like, you know, I mean, Pierre Maguire might as well have been on it. The fact is, is that it didn't, doesn't seem like they considered anyone other than Trilliving. 
like not seriously anyway. Like this was telegraphed what the day after Dubas was fired and the and the Calgary Flames suddenly relented on permitting uh, Brad Treliving to interview elsewhere. I mean, this was completely narrowly focused on one guy. And I think that's a huge missed opportunity for MLSE, not to mention the fact that they clearly bungled the negotiation and now have a top executive on Sh- in Shanahan who's like absolutely going to be feeling the pressure, particularly given, you know, the, the fact that Treliving is now coming in to an environment where we're told that Shanahan told the core four that none of them are moving and... We're told, uh, reported by, you know, Nick Kiprios at, uh, at our Toronto sister station that, um, you know, he was telling candidates, my preference is to keep Sheldon Keefe. So what exactly is the new GM doing here? I mean, the whole thing looks bad, both from a process standpoint, but also from a bungled negotiation standpoint. And I think it shines a really harsh spotlight on Shanahan. Like, I would go so far as to say, and for the first time in Shanahan's nine-year tenure, as a Maple Leafs top executive, the Shanna plan has looked a lot more like the Shan no plan. Oh, that's good. I love it. I'm, 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 I'm going to write something with that in it. Sean, I'll let you jump in, but I do want you to know that this entire segment idea was so Drance could say that. <laughs> that's true. It was all building up Super retcon. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's like writing a story when really all you have is like a good, it's like a good tweet. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have a good sentence. I don't know if I can get 1,200 words out of no, it. No, I think this whatever. is a good segment. This is worth doing. Um, yeah, oh, God, are you kidding me? Absolutely. I could, I could do this all day. Yeah. I think, okay, so as far as as far as far that's concerned, too, I'll just kind of build off build off what you said. If this is the way it was going to work and, Shana, and Shanahan was going to say, all right, you probably got to keep Steve. We don't want to trade any of the core four, yada, yada, yada. They're setting all these parameters on the guy who took the job. Why are you so gung ho about hiring a guy that's done it before? Like, if you're mm. going to keep the training wheels on here and keep the governor on and dictate the moves that they make before you even hire a guy, like, why not take a swing? Why not try to find the next Kyle Dubis if if you're gonna if you're gonna make his first few big decisions for him? And I like Brad Living, by the way. I think I like him more than most. A yeah. lot of the problems in Calgary were not his fault, like flat out. That's a bad ownership group. There's all sorts of problems in there that Bradtree Living did a pretty good job of, negotiate, of, of, uh, of negotiating, right? So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here to knock him, but to hem yourself into like a veteran exec and then also not let him take the wheel completely whenever, whenever, uh, whenever the time comes is a wild, wild call. Well, especially with the coaching decision for Treliving, right? Like because oh, you know he was just in a power struggle with Daryl Sutter in Calgary that they both lost somehow, which is was interesting. And then he, he's going here and he doesn't potentially doesn't get to choose his coach. And you know, to your point, like I like Treliving too. It's kind of a weird process, but I don't want it. To, I don't want it to just be like ah, they just hired a retread like Trey Living. He's going to do a bad job. I think he could do a good job. It's just weird how they got to that point. Mm-hmm. For sure. Do you have a loser in the saga for us, uh, Sean? Yeah, big lo- big loser here. People are uh, reporters in Pittsburgh who rely on the GM to give them anonymous quotes because that well just dried up. <laughs> that's not that's not that's not Dubitz's game. He's, he's he's very open about it. I think people are still. I mean, God knows Hextall Hextall wasn't speaking all that much, but I think there's still people who are just yearning for the days of of, of old jr up uh, up there shooting from the hip and texting everybody after after games or whatever that's, that's not how 
not how Dubis operates, and I think people are going to take a head for it. That's not how old JR operates. These yeah, we don't days we either. don't see much of him anymore up here. He's uh, he's <laughs> stepped back and turned it over to uh, to Patrick Alvine. So th- those days are gone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how it lasts. Get back to us in December or so. Uh, so my uh, my losers here are like a group of losers is what I'm calling the uh, the usual suspects of GM candidates, which is, you know, Peter Shirelli, mm-hmm. Mark Bergevin, had whoever else, right? The names that are constantly now, anytime when there's a GM opening, it's like, well, they're going to interview a bunch of people, including, really Mark, good one. including Mark Bergevin, including Peter Shirelli. And we just saw Calgary, Toronto, Pittsburgh, higher GMs. I don't, I, I'm not going to sit here and say both, all of these names were linked to every single job, but they came up at various points in this process. None of them got the job. Doesn't sound like any of them are close. And I think, you know, we're kind of coming to the end of, I, I think next time there's an opening and this list comes out, we have to take it with a grain of salt. Let's put it that way. Like these might just mm-hmm. be names that are out there rather than legitimate strong candidates for these positions. Well, this comes back to like, there's an Italian phrase that they use to describe like the recycled soccer coaches. And, and the rough translation is effectively like cold soup that no longer pleases anybody, right? And and that's, I think, where we're at with the with the retreads. And, and I'm going to pick my winner as a pivot off of yours, right? Mm-hmm. Which is ob- obvious winner, the progressive executive, okay? Like the progressive executive is an archetype. Because I think both Brad Trilliving and Kyle Dubas qualify. I think it's reductionist to describe either as like an analytics guy like here's what i think is the most telling similarity between Treliving and dubis when you think about the r&d guys the highest profile r&d guys that each one hired and all apologies to close personal friend cam sharon here because i'm going to omit him from this list it's daryl metcalf in toronto right and it's david johnston in calgary and what were those guys those guys were the guys who maintained the best databases like, they hired database guys. So that, to me, is – it's not like they needed people who could help them translate the information. What they wanted was proprietary information. They're using it as tools yep. as opposed to as, you know, um, like, I, I've got a numbers guy, and he's a sage who I, I let my scouts make fun of in meetings and then tell the media that we pay attention to analytics. So pretty distinct, I think, from, from there. We're also going to get another progressive – higher as Dubas said explicitly yep. today in terms of the general uh, the GM job and here's where the progressive executive archetype is the real winner because let's be real neither true living or Dubas are like undeniable in terms of their resumes like they haven't had playoff success they don't have their names engraved on a cup this is not Theo Epstein like you know um success that they've had in their previous stops and yet you know both in extremely high demand clearly as Treliving lands one of the most highly coveted jobs in the sport, and Kyle Dubas gets, you know, the Fenway Sports Group to promote him to president of hockey operations, what, within 10 days of his departure from the Maple Leafs job? I mean, that to me is the sea change. Like, you could, I don't think it's fair because I think both executives are talent, talented, but you could make the you know reductionist playoff success argument and say these guys both failed upwards and if you're failing upwards mm-hmm. as a progressive executive that's a pretty solid statement that like the data driven revolution of this sport is like it's 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 over like the, there's no reaction mm-hmm. now it's just that's done you you have to sort of be in this mold at this point to be uh doing the job 
That's my yeah. That's progressive my. progressive execs can be retreads now. And <laughs> yeah, you don't have to win. A, you can lose in the second round and get another job, even if you, that's your reputation. Absolutely. Do you have a I final like, one oh, so, uh, for us, Sean? Yeah, winner so or loser? It's a, I'll go like a short-term loser or guys like or guys like Eric Tulski and Cam Lawrence and you know mm. Steve Gurley to to a to an extent because this job is getting. This penguin, the Penguins' job is going to be one of theirs, right? Like that's I, yeah. I was, that's the way the that's the way the winds were blowing. Um, but also, I'm really intrigued by the fact that Dubis is going to actually hire a general manager in July, and I think that's going to be a space where he, because of the cachet he has with FSG already, and it is a ton. It's maybe even more than they let on in the press conference. Honestly, they would have let, they would have let him pick his title. Be they could have you know if he wanted to be whatever in, invent the title for, for yeah sure why not fine like they would have given it to him and now he he has a chance to hand pick somebody and place them as as the general manager now whoever that is i think it's i think it's interesting he said it's going to be a it's going to be a progressive thinker and i think that also now means a lot more than it did maybe you know three or four or five years ago so i'm i'm interested in seeing who he ends up installing there even though for the short term it means that a guy like Tolsky or a guy like Lawrence is uh, is on the outside. Hey, just before we let you go, Sean, we appreciate you uh, playing this uh, yeah. ridiculous Thanks game with us, with us and, and going yeah. roundtable uh, style here. But just before we let you go, I mean, obviously the mandate is to be competitive. You know, Dubas talked about trying to win the division and, and all of that as their goals. They're in an interesting position, obviously a flawed roster, but also a fair bit of flexibility and salary cap space this summer. I mean, are the, do you think Kyle Dubas has a, a realistic chance of making this team a cup contender as early as next year? I think they can certainly be a playoff team next year. Cup contender is going to be tough because, you know, it's tough to pick a team as old as they are at the top who, who is and as empty as they were at the bottom to make that kind of leap. But I think what we've seen from Dubas and at certain points there is just an ability to improve around the margins and, hit on two or three forwards in particular each year. I'm thinking of like Ilya Mikhaev or, or what Bunting and Hyman were early on, where they came from or, from other organizations and on cut rate deals and, and produced in a big way. Guys like guys like Andre Kasha, whatever players like that who aren't, who are no great shakes, but also would like represent a gigantic step up for the Penguins from last year. And also like a major, a major benefit to, you know, Crosby and Malkin, who both were healthy last year and both were really, really productive. So if that's where Dubas is starting, trying to add a couple half-decent forwards, I think we've seen him do it before. And I think the the, the payoff for Pittsburgh in particular is, uh, is pretty significant because of how good the big boys are still playing. By the way, I have one last uh, loser in this before we let you go, Sean. It, it hits close to home Love for it. me. It's uh, Vancouver sports mm-hmm. radio hosts talking about JT Miller going to Pittsburgh. That's, that's the big losers, big losers it's in this over. whole thing. It's over. It's over, baby. It, it's done. We're like, I, I know, like, we, we, we would, you know what? I'll say this. We would have had, uh, if, if Hextall and, and Burke would have somehow gotten another year, we, we would be having a completely different conversation right now, and it probably would have sounded That's right, we would. Miller, but no longer, baby. Here rests JT Miller to Pittsburgh talk. 
Long live Connor Garland to Pittsburgh talk. <laughs> That's our new one. I, did, I, thought of, I thought of both of you guys. I almost listed them in the, in the columns that I had them, <laughs> had them put up because I was like, this is almost too good. I can't. I, I, I can't yeah. do that, was yeah, like, we can, that was exactly we can where our minds go. went. And yeah. I'm straight up filing huh? a column version of this segment, by the way. So thank you for your ideas, guys. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, must, really appreciate must, it, man. Must credit Sean Gentile. Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely. Like, here, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good one, man. Peace, fellas. All right, that is uh, our pal Sean Gentilly. Always a blast to have him on the show here. Uh, covers the NHL for the Athletic, of course, based in Pittsburgh uh, and has a uh, reaction column up now. Uh, how Kyle Dubas and the Penguins can still win now, but you can go read at the Athletic reacting to uh, everything we heard from Kyle Dubas's first press conference as the president of the Pittsburgh Penguins. All right. Uh, that was fun. I enjoyed that. One more segment. And by the way, I just oh, oh, to pivot um, off of your point, because I had uh, like Matthew Darsh on my list of potential losers, right? Because it sounded like maybe he was just kind of on standby. I think it was Greeley. I okay, think it was interesting. Greeley who was the but but I see what you're saying. He's Greeley was on my list. Gre- Greeley was, I think, the guy But I do think the point you made about just the overall like lowering of the standards. And I, I don't mean that in a pejorative sense, right? But that you don't have to have this miraculous run of success as a quote unquote progressive GM to get that next job. I think like it's short term loser for those guys, but long term, it's not a bad thing, right? Because it's like the industry is trending in that well, direction. I, like Matthew Darsh is going to be a GM somewhere at I, some point. I mean, also, like we do have to wait. At the end of the day, Kyle didn't like that this team doesn't have a GM. Yeah. There's and still a spot out there. It's loaded that they're not going to try and get one in quickly. Like, to me, that's really interesting uh, in terms of what profile, right? Maybe a draft-related profile, maybe an amateur evaluator. Like, could that be part of the reason why? Uh, or is it or is it that, you know, I, that there's an army of AGMs that Kyle's interested yeah, in, in hiring away from Yeah, I think it's cast as Toronto. wide a net as possible and make it easier to get permission, right? I, I think that's probably I'm it. just saying, I wouldn't bundle, like, Darsh, the Dar- Darsh-Tolsky-Lawrence class necessarily into the losers group yet, because as far as I'm concerned, there's still a possibility one of them ends up Yeah, on one the of job. them could be the GM. Yeah, that's, that that's job's a, still vacant. a very fair point. Um, final segment of the show coming up. It is Canucks talk. Uh, we will get back into the third line center free agency discussion. Some good text coming in about potential options. Uh, some other things that the Canucks could do there. So we'll talk more about that. It is Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 here. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, live from the Kintech Studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. We weren't able to connect with him earlier in the show, but fingers crossed I think we are going to be able to get uh, former Canucks defenseman Brad Hunt on the line here momentarily, who of course won gold with Team Canada at the World Hockey Championships. I can see Dom laughing up a storm. Which means Brad Which means Hunt's he's got line. Brad Hunt on the other and, line and right I, now. I bet apologizing profusely, even though there's no need at all. Yeah. Brad Hunt, always the best, whether whether he's an hour late or not. 
And, we love uh, having him. We love talking. And we are very excited now to welcome a former Vancouver Canuck and gold medal winner with Team Canada at the World Hockey Championship. Uh, it is Brad Hunt. Brad, thanks very much for making time with us for us, and uh, congratulations on the gold medal. Never mind. We lost Brad Hunt momentarily here. All of that <laughs> I, hype. I promise you will have him. <laughs> okay, now we've got now we've got him. Brad, can you hear us? Oh, yeah. I'm okay, there we go. Today, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's worth the wait, though. Worth the wait and worth the buildup. And I was just saying thanks for making time for us, and, and uh, uh, congratulations on the gold medal as well. Oh, yeah, no problem at all. Thank you again for having me, and sorry for being an hour. <laughs> yeah, don't even worry about it. And, you know, let, like we'll get to the actual the win and just kind of your reaction to that. But first of all, I mean, just how did you react to getting the call to go and play for Team Canada at the World Championship? Oh gosh! I mean, I was just—I just had text from Doug Armstrong, and I was, at first I'm like, I did—I didn't even know what to think. I thought it was like an accident because <laughs> obviously, I never expected to ever get a chance to play for Team Canada, and um, I saw it and called him back, and he was super great about it. And he's like, "I'm going to give you a sales pitch," and I'm like, "Hey man, I don't need a sales pitch. I, I'm, it's a yes. If you want me to come, it's a yes." <laughs> That's awesome. And, and can you give us a sense, because Canucks fans were following this tournament closely, not just because uh, of yourself and, and Ethan Bear and Tyler Myers on Team Canada, but also, you know, Arthur Silov stealing the show in net for Latvia, and, and everyone's seen the scenes from Riga. What was the environment like at this tournament? Because it looked like a blast. Oh, it was so much fun. Again, nothing that I've ever experienced before. I've never been a part of international hockey over over in Europe, but the fans were insane. I mean, like the Czech fans were amazing. The Swiss fans were amazing. The Latvia fans were incredible. Um, Slovakia had a great crowd there. It was it was something that I've never experienced, and I honestly it was a, it was a, it was a tournament of a lifetime because again I never expected it, and uh, the fans over there are so passionate about their countries and their hockey. Yeah, and you know you hear from so many people who do get the chance, and they they all say the same thing: what a phenomenal experience it is. And you know, as you say, you you didn't expect to get that opportunity to be a part of Team Canada. I know Tyler Myers after you guys won gold shared uh, you know a little bit of a a cheeky comment on Instagram saying like basically people were calling this the worst Team Canada roster ever. Did that help you guys develop a little chip on your shoulder, right? That maybe it wasn't people we typically think of as as going overseas to represent the country playing together um i think so but i again i don't even think anybody really paid much attention to it i think my view was just being funny and obviously it was funny because <laughs> it was i loved it and we won yeah and it was it was i was truthful but um yeah i mean i don't think any of us in the room really thought that we honestly had so much fun the entire tournament and super believed in each other and at the end of the day it doesn't matter um we were a team first and uh, with a canadian crest on our chest and uh, we had a whole country of Canada behind us. So I think no matter what team Canada sends, we always have a chance to win. How important and how difficult is it in a short tournament format like that to quickly come together and really gel as a team and develop that kind of chemistry and that, that rapport that you're talking about? Oh, it's super important. And um, I think the team came together so close, super fast. Um, again, like at near the end of the tournament, you look back in the three weeks or whatever that we were there, and I felt like I knew all these guys for 10 years. That's how close we became. And maybe that was, was what Mikey said was maybe that brought us even closer too because we were, we we're a bunch of, uh, I guess, I wouldn't say, well, what's the best way to put it? We we're a bunch of hard workers that came together for a common cause with a, with a country behind us. And uh, to win the gold medal was incredible. Brad, it's almost become an annual tradition where, and by annual traditions happen 
like two of the last three years, so I'm way overstating it here. Uh, forgive me. But Canada has a loss in the round-robin stage against a country that everyone's shocked beat them, Norway for your team, and then comes together and, and figures it out during the elimination yep. stages. Um, what was the reaction like after that shootout loss to Norway? Um, what was the environment like as things began to go your team's way over in Riga? Um, I think it was it was probably a wake-up call. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it just, it just proves that in a one-game series, anybody has the ability to win, whether it's a, a lucky goal or just one team playing better than the other team, and they played better than we did. And uh, that's the danger of a tournament like that, whereas if you're not on your A game, that you could lose the tournament as, as, as soon as you entered it. And then I think that was the wake-up call for our group to – be like holy smokes like we're really in this together just because we've been playing in the nhl doesn't mean anything um any team can beat anybody here and uh i think that was honestly that was the wake-up call your team faced latvia but it was right off the hop right before um like archer Silovs didn't even start that game but obviously canucks fans are super interested in um you know his performance and he went on a, an incredible run as as Latvia won bronze and declared a national holiday and it it was a big to do what were your impressions granted you know he he came in cold it wasn't his strongest game of the tournament but i'm sure you saw him play in other games uh knowing knowing what a big hockey fan you are i'm sure you were watching some games that you weren't playing in uh what were your impressions of Arthur's Silovs at the tournament what did he show you I mean, obviously, he's an incredible goalie, and just knowing him from, like, in the summer last year, skating with him a bit, and uh, just, like, knowing him just for a short period of time, he's a great kid, for one, and he works super hard. Um, but that Latvia team, team we played the first game was not the same Latvia team we played in the semifinals. Right. Um, they were they were super nervous. Um, obviously, it was the first game in front of their home crowd. They're playing Team Canada. Um I think they're like the anxiety and the nerves really got to them. And we scored. I mean, I think we scored two goals in the first five minutes, which really changed the outlook of the game. But uh, then Arthur got put in, and he really didn't look back the entire tournament. And, uh, again, I don't know him too well, but I'm super proud of him. And he uh, he deserved everything that he got. I mean, he worked his way through that whole tournament. And he's going to have a bright future in the NHL, I think. You were teammates with Tyler in Vancouver. And, you know, your season in Vancouver anyway – um, Myers's form was sparkling, especially after things started to go your club's way when once Bruce was hired, right? Uh, Myers yep. and, and Oliver Ekman Larson were at the absolute top of their games, playing a shutdown role, uh, really playing well. It was a it was a tougher season for Myers this past year, but now you know he he gets to go into this off season with you know a defiant Instagram po- post, a gold medal, and having had a really fun hockey experience. Um, could you tell how much it mattered to him while playing for Canada o- over the course of the past four weeks? Oh, for sure. I mean, I can't, I can't speak for him, but he was, we were having so much fun. And Tyler, somebody that I became very close with over the past couple of years, um, he's, he's a, a wonderful person, and mm-hmm. uh, we, I got along with him super well. And, I mean, to win this tournament, like, you, you, you finish the season winning something. Obviously, the, it's not the ultimate goal of the Stanley Cup, but you still finish the feeling of, of – of victory, and I think that gives you confidence no matter who you are. And uh, again, Tyler's a great player. Um, I mean, how big he is and how smooth he is—he's the biggest, smoothest skater I've ever seen. 
Um, and his hands are great. He's got a hard shot, and uh, he's a super. He's a leader in the dressing room. And um, again, I'm so happy for him to win. And he was saying too, he's been there. I think two more times previous to this, and lost in the quarterfinals both times. So to finally get the gold medal, I mean, it was super important for him. Yeah, and you know, we're always paying attention, obviously, to the Canucks players that are over there, and then also just the local, the BC products, and, and especially the lower mainland products, and uh, Milan Lucic on the team as well, one of the, the veteran leaders, one of the older players on the team. What was his role like? What was it like getting to play uh, alongside uh, a guy who's done so much in the NHL in his career? Oh, it was so much fun, and I played with Milan spring hockey when we were younger. No um, obviously, we're the same age and stuff, and obviously I never got to play with them for a super long time. I never thought we would ever play together again. Um, it's definitely something like this, but again, super proud of him. I mean, he, he he's worked so hard through the NHL and made a great career for himself and won a Stanley Cup, and now he can have a gold medal. And uh, as we go through just the, the list of teammates, one of the other ones I wanted to ask you about, uh, Adam Fantilli, very rare for an undrafted or player who hasn't been drafted yet to get this opportunity to play with Team Canada at the World Hockey Championships. What did you see uh, on the ice and just getting to know Fantilli as a, as a person as well? Um, incredible. And as the tournament went on, you could really tell that he really settled in, settled into himself. Um, got more confidence as the tournament went on. And then, I mean, you saw that goal he scored was incredible. I think that just shows the skill and talent that he does have. And again, such a great kid. Obviously, his mom and dad were there. They're super nice people, a really nice family. And again, someone that's going to be a generational player in the NHL. Um, I mean, I don't know for sure, but most likely he's going to be part of the Anaheim Ducks, who's got such a young core. And uh, I think he's going to fit in great. Brad, I just want to ask you about, obviously, you were in the Colorado Avalanche organization this past season, but we know, uh, you know, you played for Bruce Boudreaux in Minnesota. The two of you uh, have, you know, one of those sorts of coach-player bonds, and, and watching from afar as, as a local guy, um, were you surprised by how this season unfolded uh, from the perspective of, of Bruce? Um, I mean... I I can't really say because I wasn't there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I have nothing bad to say about Bruce. He's been in my corner since I met him in Minnesota and probably even before that. But I think <laughs> he's a wonderful coach and a wonderful person. Um, but I can't really speak on how the season went because I wasn't there. Obviously, I mean, would he have liked things to go differently? Of course. But um, I think that's the business. And, and we all know when we signed the dotted line that the business is the business. And that's the tough part of the game. And I think um, – Obviously, nobody wants stuff like that to happen. But, again, it was the same thing with Travis. Um, stuff like that sometimes is necessary to happen. And, um, again, would Bruce wanted to play out a little differently? Of course he would have. And the players would have been the same as well because everybody loved Bruce. Um, he's happy in the morning all the time. You get along with him. He's, he's, the, he's the ultimate player's coach. And, uh, again, I think everybody loved him. Brad, this weekend, Vegas Golden Knights in the Stanley Cup Final – Something that hasn't happened since 2018 when you were a member of the inaugural yeah. Vegas Golden Knights uh, roster. Um, yeah. what, what are your feelings seeing that franchise get back there? Uh, what do you remember about that storybook first year? Um, I think, again, just it goes back to the team, how close the team was that first season. It reminded me a lot of how this World Championships was. I mean, we were, we were instantly a family after training camp. Um, it was probably one of the closest teams I've ever been on. And, and uh, this, like, it was, it was so much expected us to do well. Um, 
we just rallied together as a team. And um, obviously, the decor that's still there, I wish them nothing but the best, and I hope they get a chance to win the Cup because that city's going to absolutely explode if they win that Cup. Brad, we really appreciate you making time for us today. Uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, best of luck for the for the rest of the summer and going into next season, and congratulations again on the gold medal. Oh, yeah, thank you guys so much again. It's always a pleasure to come on the show. And Again, sorry that I was late, but I'm glad that we finally got to connect, and uh, and I uh, hope everyone has a great weekend. Thank you so much, Brad. Appreciate Good it. Good man. Thanks, Brad. Yep, thank you guys. Take care. Be safe. Bye. That is uh, Brad Hunt, former Vancouver Canuck, now with the Colorado Avalanche organization and uh, gold medal winner for Team Canada and also just an incredibly great guy. Well, and, and just the, the genuine joy. He's like, wow, thank you for having me on. Well, it's such uh, a genuinely joyful voice. D- I love that. Doug Armstrong, having had like 15 no's <laughs> on the day, calls Brad, I've got a sales yeah, pitch Okay, for let you. me explain this to you. He's like, no, 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 no. You don't have to do that. <laughs> I'm so honored. Oh, my God. That's the best. I love everything about that. And by the way, that. you know, sometimes people do look down at the world championships. And look, I, I'm here banging the table all the time for best on best, right? Like, I agree that we need best on best. But there is also something kind of cool about, like, hey, this is not the, the, the upper t- crust of Canadian hockey. These are the guys who were available, who really wanted to go, who made it prior- a priority. You almost get to wear the underdog uh, role hat a little bit. Not really, because you're still Team Canada at the World Championships, but what an incredible opportunity for Brad Hunt. And I think we need to embrace that side of the World Championships sometimes rather than bemoaning what it isn't. Look at what it is, and it can be pretty cool and provide some pretty cool stories. Well, so also really long-lasting, durable friendships. So I'll tell you a story. When Roberto Luongo was preparing to play his thousandth game, I was working with him with the Florida Panthers. And I'm putting together and compiling, you know, a tribute video of congratulations for him, right? So I've got Frankie Allaire. I've got um, Ian Clark mm-hmm. when he was still with Columbus in the video. I've got – I've tracked down Patrick Waugh. I tracked down Marty Brodor, right? And then I'm trying to get Lou's friends, right? So it's easy from a Vancouver perspective. First of all, I, I covered the team. I knew them really sure. well. Um, but like Burroughs, you know, I knew Burroughs and Lou were close. I knew Lou and the twins were close, right? Like it was pretty easy to do it on that end. I didn't know his history in Florida as well. And I started sort of asking around and um, kind of on the low because I wanted it to be a surprise for Lou. Like, you know, who should I get? Like, who's Lou really tight with? And the answer I ultimately got was the guys to really go track down from his time in Florida are the guys that he played with, with at the Worlds every year. Because every year that Florida Panthers right. team under Jacques Martin would miss the playoffs, and Lou would go over, and he played at the World Championships in 0405, in 0203, in 2000, 2001. Um, you know, and so like he had a three year run going to the Worlds every single year, following these, you know, absurd seasons in which he'd play 73 games, and the core of that team, guys like Joe Thornton. I didn't know that Joe Thornton and Lou were like extremely close until I started doing this work. Shane Doan and Lou are like absolute, you know, cross your fingers besties. I had no idea. But that core group of players who, by the way, end up being sort of the backbone of of like the 2010 team. I mean, obviously Crosby, again, those guys, Mm -hmm. but like, you know, Joe Thornton, um, Heatley, Marlowe, you know, 
th- those guys like Corey Perry, like the guys who were coming up and, and weren't necessarily in the playoffs, like th- those were some of Lou's most like longest standing relationships in the league. Um, and, and so that's sort of another angle to consider here, right? Hearing Brad talk about Tyler Myers, right? Friends from their time in Vancouver, but now they've spent a month in this really like amped up hockey environment winning a tournament. I mean, there's there's really meaningful connections built between players. And, you know, in the past anyway, these tournaments have also been a, a pretty key way of like beginning to build a team identity for those best on best tournaments when they ultimately come around. And and granted, you look up and down this Canada roster, like I don't I don't know that I mean, Sam Sam Montembeau, if he keeps being on the upward yeah. trajectory that he's on, has a shot given the state of Canadian goaltending. Uyghur. Uyghur, maybe, yeah. Yeah, that's um, probably the other guy. No, but Fantilli. Fantilli. Fantilli, Fantilli if, like, he makes a, if he gets you know, there, yep. There are, there are echoes from this tournament that could matter a lot when you're next watching that best-on-best best game that you care about, you know, desperately in terms of the result. Yeah, and it's interesting, the, the relationships thing, because that's – it's not just something that the players learn after they've been through. When you, if you talk to guys before they go, right? Oh, like, hey, what are you excited about? about? That's one of the things they'll mention pretty consistently. Like just the chance to go and meet other really good players, right? And Canadian players and get to know guys uh, that I didn't necessarily know before. Like they really, really value that. And I remember, uh, I think it was Dan Hamhuis talking to him after he retired, and like, what are the things you remember, right? And that was one of the things he talked about the chance to play internationally and just be associated with that group of players is, is huge for all these guys and very cool uh, for Brad hunt to get to be a part of it. Uh, Austin and Langley texts in Brad is freaking awesome. He sure. He certainly is. Yeah. Fantastic best. interview. Never a bad time to have uh, Brad hunt on the team. Uh, 650 650 is the Dunbar lumber text line. Final few minutes of the show here. And just a chance uh, to read some of your comments that were coming in earlier. We were talking about your your fears tears, your tears of fears for what the Canucks might do uh, in this upcoming offseason, Drancer. And Andrew texts in, I'm not against the trade-down deal, but the nightmare of all nightmares is that they do the deal before the draft starts, and then Mitchkov falls to that spot and gets taken by whoever did the trade-up. I agree with that being a nightmare. This is very preliminary. We're still almost a month out, right? I'm just reading public mocks and public lists. I would be very surprised if Mitchkov is there at 11. I'd be very surprised if Mitchkov is there at 11. I, I don't think he is. It is So it's Washington at 8? Yes. And then Detroit at 9? Yeah. I don't think he gets by both. Yes. I agree with that. And now, to on Andrew's point, though, and again, as you said, I've been captain okay with the trade down. Again, based on the publicly available information... I think there's a starting to be a greater chance that Zach Benson is there at 11. And if Zach Benson is there at 11, it's not Mitchkov. I know he doesn't have that kind of glitz, but there's a high enough upside there where then even I'm saying, oh, no, 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 no. Just, oh. just stay there, run I, up to the podium, and make the pick. I, I think I think you'd rather have Benson. Than Mitchkov. Yeah. That's fair, but given, given, given what we like, given the um, sort of – the like scene setting stuff around both players uh, for me. Yeah. I mean, look, if, if you trade 11 and Benson falls and is available at 11, or if you keep 11 and Benson's available at 11 and you take someone else, I mean that whew, to me, that, it's, you know what? Tears of fears. That's like number one for me. Those, probably. those are the two names that really make me fear trading down from 11, Mitch and Benson. And I don't think Mitch is going to be there, but I think it's starting to look like Benson is going to be the, there. The ones that are always the most painful are the ones you can see coming. You know, like, 
<laughs> like the 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 um oh wow, Braden Point's still gonna be available with their second round pick. They take mm. Demko. It's like, oh, okay. Luckily that worked out. And then oh, he's still gonna be available with their third overall pick. Like, man, if they get this right, what a draft class this could be. Nikita Triamkin. It's like, no. And then it happened again with Stankoven. So, you know, every every few years you get one that you like see coming. This would be one I see coming. I, I yeah, that would be that would be a a tough, a tough swallow. I just think he checks the box so well as somebody with a potential elite upside, right? That you need to be looking for. And I get he's small, he's undersized, all that, but he's also scored ninety eight points in sixty games in the dub. Typically guys with that scoring track record are pretty close to being NHL ready. Right, And maybe it's a little bit different with his physical profile, but that's not a long-term play. That's not a, oh, in three or four years, he could really help us. That's like one season, and then he could be in the lineup. He's got the scoring rate. Like, he's got a better scoring rate than Ryan Nugent Hopkins in the CHL in his draft year. Like, Steven Stamkos. Like, a better – he's got a top-five statistical profile. And he, he was the best penalty killer on one of the best teams in the dub last year. Like, he's the best two-way guy. It's just you wonder if this Canucks organization will overthink it because at the end of the day he's a winger, and he's you know five ten bucks buck sixty, and that would be really upsetting if they did. Yeah, that's uh, that's a potential nightmare scenario yep, you're for right. me. That belongs as at well. the top. I, uh, I again, I don't have a problem with the trade down inherently, but. If Zach Benson is on the board, then uh, then it starts to get pretty dicey for me. Uh, this one comes in uh, from Rager. I would rather the Canucks trade next year's pick entirely as opposed to moving off or moving down from 11. I mean, I'd rather them move down from 11 than trade the 2024 first-round pick. No, no, no. You can't. This team hasn't had enough success to do this again. Even the JT Miller one, it worked out, but, like, that team was in real danger of surrendering their next year pick mm-hmm. um, unprotected until the global pandemic put an end to things. And then K- K- Kirill Kaprizov was completely arbitrarily ruled out of the play-in series. Like, do not overstate how much danger, how many things needed to go their way for them to avoid the nightmare scenario then. Don't do that again. Appa- Definitely don't do that Apparently again. Apparently we have play-out music now. Yeah. I want to thank <laughs> – oh, I, I forgot to thank my English teacher. Thank you. Thank you, Mrs. Clark. Tears for Fears. Yes, yes, thank you. I appreciate it. It is Tears for Fears. Uh, Thanks for listening. We'll be back. We're on an hour early tomorrow at 11. We're at the Nat. Very, very exciting. Uh, It is Sportsnet 650.